Well, tis the season for Christmas movies, and there are a lot of classic, well-loved movies out there, a lot of movies that it makes sense why people like these movies, but there are a few Christmas movies that I wonder, why do we like these movies? You ever wonder about this? One in particular is this, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Any Charlie Brown fans out there? Okay, this is, a, this is a great movie, but I have no idea why it works, okay? When you, when you watch this movie, it's really, really weird. In fact, that's what the network thought when Charles Schultz actually presented the movie to them. They're like, we scheduled that we were going to put this Charlie Brown thing on, and this is not going to work. Think about what, it, what it's like, okay? It's a cartoon, and in, in the 60s, all cartoons had laugh tracks, and this had no laugh track. It didn't even have a lot of punchlines. It was sort of like, this is kind of like amusing, but is it really funny? I don't know. The characters were children, but they talked like adults. And the main character was a depressed eight-year-old. The climax of the movie is actually when a kindergartner gets on stage and recites from the King James Bible. That's like the turning point of the movie. And so when they showed this to the network executives, they're like, there is no way this is going to be successful. Uh, Granted, it does have its soundtrack. It's the greatest Christmas album of all time. It's amazing. It's fantastic. But it's also part of the weirdness of this movie. Who makes a kid movie where it's like melancholy jazz piano as the background? Like, it's, it's so, so strange. It shouldn't work, but for some reason, it does. I think the reason the Charlie Brown Christmas movie works is because it's such an honest movie. The whole tension in the story is about how fake Christmas has become. It was true in the 60s, it's still true today. What what bothers Charlie Brown is all the lights and the consumerism and the fake trees, and he just wants something real. Maybe you feel the same way. The songs say, this is the most wonderful time of the year, but when it gets quiet, when you're honest, you feel like Charlie Brown. Like when he said to Linus, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Maybe that's you, and you wonder, is this, is this the reality of Christmas? You see through the hype of the consumer Christmas, and it feels empty, and you, you see through the cheesiness of the nostalgic, old-fashioned sheen we put on things. It never really delivers. And after you've seen through all the fake images... You say, is this what I'm left with? What I find interesting is that when Linus gets on stage and he recites scripture, the passage of scripture he chooses to tell the true meaning of Christmas is the passage where the angels show up. It's interesting because in the Bible, that's one of the main jobs of angels is to actually reveal reality, to cut through all of the illusions and to show us what's actually true about the situation. The the passage Linus recited is the one that we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are in the third week of our series, Supernatural. We're looking at the miraculous events all around the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about the angels. They show up a lot in the Christmas stories. And we're going to look at what the Bible actually has to say about angels, not just in this passage, but in general, because that's something that a lot of people wonder about. But before I get too far, I do want to address those of you who hear the topic of angels and you say, really? Really, you guys actually believe in angels? I was just here for a whole series about science, and I thought that was great, and now you're getting weird on me again. You really believe in this stuff. So if that's you, let let me give you three thoughts here, okay? First is this. If you believe in God, and, and a lot of people do, the vast majority of people in our society believe in God. If you believe in God, it's not too big of a jump to believe in angels. You already believe in one invisible supernatural being who's affecting your life. It's not too hard to think that maybe there's more. 
If God made everything that we can see, there's a chance that he also made creatures we can't see. This is a principle that really applies to all miracles in the Bible. You ever been reading the Bible and think, really? Jesus walked on water? He did this? Is that really possible? Am I supposed to believe this? Well, if you believe in a God who wrote the laws of nature, you should also believe that he's capable from time to time of actually breaking the laws of nature. Even though he doesn't do that very often, he could do it when he wants to. Second thought I'd give you is this. I wonder, and I realize this is a subjective kind of thing, but I wonder if there is part of you that feels like maybe there is more to this world than we can see. Like some part instinctively in your gut, you sense that the world is bigger and stranger and more wonderful than we know. And what if that feeling isn't just wishful thinking? What if that instinct points to something that's real? I mean, even when it comes to scientific realities, the universe turns out to be way weirder than our common sense tells us. Black holes and quantum mechanics and so on. Why shouldn't the spiritual world be a little bit like that too? Third thought is this. If you don't know yet what you think about Jesus, like you still haven't decided uh, about him, don't worry about figuring out angels. Just don't just set that to aside until you figure out the big questions. Figure out what you think about the fact that Jesus claimed to be God. That's a really big claim, right? Was he out of his mind? Was he trying to fool people? Was he a con man? Or was it actually true? Figure out what you think about the fact that hundreds of people said that they saw Jesus alive after they saw him tortured to death by Roman soldiers. Were, were all of those people hallucinating? Were they lying? Why, why would they lie if all they risked was persecution and death from holding up that lie? Figure out what you think about those claims, those big questions about Jesus, and then come back around and decide, okay, what do I think about angels? Because if you come to the conclusion that Jesus actually is God and he did rise from the dead, then listening to him about angels should be a simple matter. But right now, if you still say, you know what, I, I'm not going to believe the whole angel thing, here's what you can do while I preach the rest of the sermon. Listen, spend this time trying to understand the point of view of someone who thinks something different from you. That's always a good thing to practice, always a good thing to do. And try to understand why would someone believe something like this? What does it mean to them? Because there's a lot of people around you who might believe this. Okay, let's jump in to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lineage of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want us to see four things, four things about angels here. Here's the first one. I want us to understand the role of the angels, the role of the angels. When you look at angels in the Bible, you experience this strange tension. On the one hand, angels are all over the place. They come up hundreds of times in lots of different stories. And yet at the same time, they are never really the focus. There are no stories where angels are the main characters. Uh, There are millions of angels, we're told, but we only learn the names of two of them. There is no book or chapter of the Bible that just unpacks and says, here, let me explain angels to you. So angels are always present. They're always assumed, but they're never explained. One of the implications of this is the fact that we're not actually supposed to be all that preoccupied with angels. It's fine to be curious about them, to want to learn about them, but they should never become a focus of our spiritual life. It shouldn't be something we should be prying into or trying to figure out all the time. And the times in the Bible when people get too fixated on angels, again and again, the Bible says, get your focus back on God. Get your focus back on Jesus. Even so, that doesn't change the fact that angels are real and present and active. You ever seen a a picture of world leaders, a president, a a king, a queen, a, a prime minister, and they're gathered with a group of people. And in the photo, that world leader is sort of in the front of the photo, but there's a ton of people in the background. You always know who the, the world leader is, but when you look at the people in the background, you're like, who are those people? Why, why are they there? And you, you don't know that much about them, but they're present with this world leader, so they must be important in some way, right? Like people can't just sort of tourists just kind of sneak into the Oval Office while the president's signing a law or, you know, people photobomb the Queen of England. Like it just, they don't let that happen. So if you're in the picture, you, you are important. You probably have an important job. You probably have some authority, some power. You can get some things done, but who are these people? You can't name the third staffer from the left, you know? It's like, I don't know what they do. This is what angels are like in the Bible. They're present, but they're not the focus. They're active, but they're in the background. They've got power, but they're not calling attention to themselves. Now, before I get into what angels actually do, I do want to address a few common misconceptions about angels. I want to talk about some myths about angels. And so here are the top five myths that people believe about angels. Here's the first one. Angels have wings and halos. Angels have wings and halos. It may surprise some of you to learn this, but the Bible never actually describes angels as having wings. There are some spiritual creatures called the seraphim or the cherubim that come up a few times in the Bible that are described as having wings. But what's interesting is that these creatures are never referred to as angels. Uh, If you will, they're another kind of spiritual species, another species of heavenly creature. When angels show up, and especially when they show up on earth, the Bible always describes them as looking like human beings. So much so that people can interact with them without ever realizing right away that they're actually angels. As far as the halos go, that comes from kind of early Christian artists, uh, artists who are trying to say, how do we convey something significant, important, and uh, spiritually uh, mysterious about them uh, in a way that is visually able to be represented? So they actually borrowed imagery from their wider culture. This is how kind of Greek and Roman artists would show something was otherworldly or holy or spiritual. They put this kind of bright light behind the the person's head. And so Christians stole that. They say, instead of just using it to honor pagan uh, deities, let's use it to represent something that's actually true. Uh, But they started using the halos without ever thinking that there really were halos around angels. Myth number two, angels look like young women or babies. 
Uh, angels are spiritual creatures, so they don't normally have a physical body. Uh, and so we don't know for sure, but that probably means they don't have gender like human beings because that's so tied to our physical sexuality. But in the Bible, when angels appear to human beings, they always appear as male. It, it might be that they're able to appear as women, but we just don't have any examples of that. As far as angels looking like babies, uh, I think this is the goofiest belief about angels in my mind. You know who is to blame for this? Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Yes, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, actually, the, the Renaissance artists uh, by those names. They uh, were in a time when they were looking back to kind of classical artistry and Greek and Roman art. And for some reason, they latched onto these mythological images of babies with wings. I have no idea what they were actually about in Roman times. Uh, but they said, let's use this to represent angels in our art. And now they're on like the Sistine Chapel. It's, it's very weird. Um, because if you actually read what the Bible says about angels, you would never picture them as cute or cuddly or harmless. I mean, in this story, verse 9 says that the shepherds were terrified. They were terrified. The Greek here literally says they feared a large fear, a large fear. Uh, almost every time in the Bible, when someone uh, encounters an angel, they realize it's an angel, the first thing the angel has to say is, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? Because when you realize you're in the presence of an angel, you know they could destroy you. There's nothing cute or soft or gentle about these creatures. Myth number three. Everyone has a guardian angel. Everyone has a guardian angel. Now, the Bible does say that angels protect God's people from the forces of evil. But the idea that each person has an individual angel assigned to them is not actually in the Bible. You might say it this way. Uh, it would be right to say that the police are here to protect us and keep us safe. But that isn't the same thing as saying, I have a personal bodyguard. That, that, that's, there are people here who are protecting us, but that doesn't mean there's kind of a one-on-one -on -one match to that. So no individual guardian angels that we know of. Uh, myth number four, people become angels when they die. People become angels when they die. This is a popular thing that people say, especially when a, a child passes away. People will say something like, well, maybe God needed one more angel in heaven. And I, I just want to let you know, that's a, a, a really a, not a good thing to say to someone, especially to a grieving parent. And that's for two reasons. First is this, even if it were true, it's not actually comforting. In fact, it can make things worse. The idea to a parent who's lost a child that God just kind of snatched up their kid because they needed another servant in heaven, it just, it makes God seem like he's arbitrary, like he doesn't care about their suffering. If you want to comfort someone, bring them a meal, give them a hug, do something practical for them, but don't say this to them. Second reason not to say it is it simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. Humans do not become angels when they die. It, this is nowhere in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is actually clear. Angels are a completely different kind of creature than us. They were created separately from us. And, and the, in fact, the Bible says that in the world to come, Christ followers will actually outrank angels in the kind of heavenly order of things. We will rule over and judge the angels, but we will never become angels. Uh, myth number five, angels are eternal, all-powerful, or all-knowing. Uh, usually this comes up not when we're talking about the good angels, but we're talking about the bad ones, the one we call demons. People wonder, can the spiritual forces of evil, what, what can they do? How powerful are they? What do they know? And they think, can they do, are, are they all powerful? Do they know everything that's going on? Uh, the Bible, again, is very clear about this. Angels, both the good and evil variety, are limited. They haven't always existed. They are not all powerful. And there are a whole lot of things they don't know. They are creatures. They're not God, just like you and me. Now, those are the myths, but what is the reality of angels? What do angels actually do? 
I think that the simplest way to get your head around angels is to think of them as God's staff team. Uh, God is a king and they are his administration carrying out his plans. So here are some of the specific things that we see angels doing in the Bible. First is this, angels are God's counsel. They're God's counsel. So every once in a while in the Bible, we get kind of a picture into the throne room of heaven. And we see God like an ancient king surrounded by his royal court, his servants and his, his ministers there. And in those scenes, God will often bring a plan that he has decided to accomplish. He says, here's what we're going to do. And then he'll say to his counsel, who will go for us? Who will we send out of here to carry out this plan? You ever encounter a passage in the Bible where God says, who will go for us? Well, he's saying that to his heavenly court. And what happens often in those scenes is the council members will offer suggestions, ideas, proposals of who should go, and then God will decide you're gonna be the one to carry out the plan. They're God's counsel. Angels are also God's entourage. They're his entourage. You ever see a celebrity in public? Movie star, musician, you see them? They are never alone, right? They're always surrounded by people. They got bodyguards and managers and uh, makeup artists and they've got someone to kind of feed them grapes and to cut up their food and do all sorts of stuff. And usually they've got some friends around so that the party always travels with them wherever they go. Why do celebrities travel with an entourage? It's simply to communicate this is an important person. I'm so important, there's always a crowd around me. This is how it worked in ancient times with, with ancient royalty. The, the larger and the more impressive your entourage, the more glory and power you had. It communicated how important you are. And so God, even though he does not need our worship or our service, as the universe's king, as the Lord of lords, he is surrounded by this entourage of angels who are praising him as a way of showing just how supreme and lifted up he is. The premise behind this is that if these powerful, glorious creatures, creatures that sometimes when people see them in their glory, fall down and, and, and attempt to worship them, and if these creatures are in awe of God, then he truly is beyond compare. He truly is beyond compare. Third thing, angels are also God's army. They're his army. At some point in the distant past, some of the angels rebelled against God. We call them demons. And since then, the, the remaining loyal angels have been fighting a war against these rebels. This is what the Bible means when it talks about the heavenly hosts. Host is just kind of an old-fashioned word for army. And so when the Bible, Bible calls God the Lord of hosts, it's saying he is the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven, the angel armies. Lastly, and most important for this story, angels are God's messengers. They're his messengers. This is what the word angel actually means in both Greek and Hebrew. Uh, it means messenger. It can be used for both a human and a heavenly messenger. And this is the most common job we see angels doing in the Bible, that God sends them to someone to announce something to them, and which might sound really simple, kind of like a supernatural UPS or email before email, but it's actually more profound than that. When an angel shows up somewhere, they are shattering illusions and revealing reality. An angel shows up in a place where the world, what the world seems like and what the world is actually like are not matching up. And the angel pulls back the curtain and says, you may think that this is what's going on, but let me show you what's really happening in this situation. And that's exactly what's going on with this story. The, the angels that go to the shepherds, they're showing the shepherds all is not as it appears to be. And this is where we get the second thing I want you to see. I want you to understand the message of the angels, the message of the angels. To really understand the message the angels brought to the shepherds, you first have to understand kind of the opening few verses of this chapter. It's the part that most of us, when we hear it, we kind of go, okay, blah, 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 blah. It's the part that goes like this. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And it goes on and there's something about a guy named Quirinius and all sorts of stuff. And you're like, okay, get to the good stuff. I'm here for the baby. You know, it's, it's good. You say, what is all of that? Many times we read that and we think, well, this is just an explanation for why Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. It's just an excuse to get them to the place where the baby's supposed to be born, right? But it's more than that. It's not just meaningless historical details. This is actually the story that the angels were confronting. All of this stuff about Rome, this was the story that people were being told again and again. This is how the world works. Rome had conquered the known world. Caesar was the most powerful person to ever live up until that point. And to prove it, he ordered every one of the millions of people in his empire to relocate to different cities just so he could count them and tax them and take their money. The the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus were the defining reality for everybody in that day. And Rome wanted people to believe that that was very good news for them. I actually want to read you an inscription, a Greek inscription uh, that was found written about Caesar Augustus uh, just a few years before this story takes place. It's a little bit wordy, but I'm going to try and highlight the important parts because I think you'll find this really fascinating. This is what it says. It says, since providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, that's Caesar, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him, and listen to this, as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, that he might end war. Caesar claimed that he had brought peace on the earth. Maybe you remember back in history class, they talked about the Pax Romana, Kind of sounds like something you'd order at Olive Garden, you know, like, oh, I'll have the Pax Romana, a Caesar salad on the side. And does that still come with the free breadsticks and circuses? All of that as well. Since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, greatest of all time. And since the birthday of the God Augustus, sometimes Augustus was called the son of God, Since his birthday was the beginning of good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. Good tidings. The Greek word there, you know, you've you've heard this word before. It's the Greek word all throughout the Bible that gets translated gospel or good news. The birthday of Caesar was a gospel, good news for the world. Therefore, proconsul Paul Fabius Maximus has discovered a way to honor Augustus, namely to reckon time from the date of his nativity. Therefore, the Greeks in Asia decreed that the new year begin for all cities on September 23rd, which is the birthday of Augustus. So this is what they did. The people of this region decided they would reset their calendar to begin with the birth of Caesar because he was that important, which is the reason why we have AD and BC because BC stands for before Caesar, right? See, this was the myth. Caesar thought that he was the defining reality of the world and he was going to reshape nations and history and even time itself around him. And that was the story that Rome kept saying, here's the good news, here's the good news, here's the good news. Now, with that as a backdrop, I want you to listen again to the message of the angels. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, a gospel that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Skip down to verse 14. The angels say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, 
Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth comes from this one. The angels are revealing reality. They're saying, Rome's story is a false story. Let me tell you the real one, where the real hope, the real joy, the real glory comes from. How many false stories do we hear every single day? We we hear every day the celebrity story. Look at these people. This is what true success and happiness looks like. Don't you want to be like them? We hear the romance story. Your soulmate is out there, and you won't be fulfilled until you find them. We, we hear the social media story. All of these other people have better lives than you. We, we hear the politics story. Whoever wins the election is going to run the world, and if we get the wrong person in office, everything's going to fall apart. We hear the cable news story. The world's a mess, and you should be angry and afraid, so keep watching because we're going to tell you about it. We hear the advertising story. You are just one purchase away from true fulfillment. We hear the religious story. If you do what you're told, then God will be happy with you and he'll make sure your life turns out all right. Our world is full of false stories. But when the angels show up, it cuts through all of that and they say, let me tell you where true power and glory and joy are found. It is not with the people at the top who you think have it all together. Look, look at Mary and Joseph. Look at what's happening in Bethlehem. We, we imagine this scene in Bethlehem as a, a peaceful one because we've seen it so many times on Christmas cards and people's front lawns. We're so familiar with it. But if all we had to go on were the first seven verses of this chapter, we would not see this as a peaceful thing. We would see it as a tragedy. Because who are Mary and Joseph? They're poor. They're displaced from their home. They're, they're victims. They're nobodies being pushed around by forces beyond their control. But the angels make it clear, this right here is where the true power and glory are found, with the nobodies. The the message of the angels is that the kingdom begins with the underdogs. This was a theme all throughout Jesus' teaching. He'd say things like this. He'd say, blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Or he'd say this, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, people who don't have a home, don't have food, don't have clothing, what have you done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters? You did it for me. This is the reason why Christ followers from the very beginning have cared about the needs of children, about the needs of the hungry, justice for the poor, because we believe the reality the angels revealed, that the kingdom of God shows up, not first with the powerful and the, the people at the top of the world, but with the people that the world has overlooked and pushed around. That, that's one of the reasons why our year-end gift as a church is neighbors in need. We look at the world and say, we've got to serve and love the people that Jesus came to be with. The main thing we're raising our money for is to pack meals for hungry people around the world, for feeding my starving children. Over 6,000 kids die every day because they don't have enough to eat around the world. And so our goal is to pack three quarters of a million meals for people to have. In addition to that, a portion of our gift is going to go to our local impact partners, Organizations like Naomi's House that provides uh, safe housing for victims of human trafficking in our area. Or Administer Justice that provides legal services for people who can't afford them. Local pregnancy centers that support women who have unplanned pregnancies. I want you to think about this. If this story in Luke chapter 2 occurred in our day, in our society, where would you meet Mary and Joseph? At a food pantry. At a crisis pregnancy center seeking a safe place to live. That's where you would find them. This is the reason why our year-end gift is going to meet these needs. 
And it fits with what the message that the angels brought was, that God's kingdom is with the underdogs, with the forgotten, with the powerless. Now, that's a great thought. It's heartwarming to think about. But the question is, how do we know it's true? How do we know we can actually believe that? It's because of the third thing I want you to see here. I want you to see the king of the angels, the king of the angels. When the angels announce that there is a savior, a Messiah who has been born, the Lord has arrived, where do you think that shepherds imagined they would be? Certainly not where he actually was. Verse 12 famously says this, this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Really, so familiar with it, but it is so, so strange. What, what an odd place for a king to be found. A makeshift nursery, a manger for a crib surrounded by animals. It's, it's so strange. Like, I wonder if the angels, when God said, hey, here's what I want you to say, they said, really? Did, did I hear you right? You, you want, he's going to be where? And when the shepherds heard this, what did they think? It couldn't have been what they expected. But it turns out it was exactly what they needed to hear. It's actually what we need to hear too. Some of you feel like Mary and Joseph or like the shepherds. Life has not turned out the way you expected it to or hoped it would. And in fact, it's turned out to be pretty hard, pretty painful. Maybe like Mary and Joseph, your family is messy and complicated and painful. Or like Mary, you've got details about your life that are embarrassing, that are hard to explain, that people ask questions about. Maybe you feel like people are looking at you and judging you. Maybe money is tight. Your future is uncertain. You're afraid. Because of all this, sometimes you wonder if in the grand scheme of things, God actually cares about you. You wonder if maybe you've been forgotten and overlooked. And then someone says something like, don't be afraid. There's actually good news. There's a savior. He brings peace to everyone that God shows favor to. And you hear that and you say, I would love to believe that meant me. But you're looking at your life and thinking, I don't think God's favor is resting on me right now. How could I believe that this is possibly true? I want you to imagine being with the shepherds. Put yourself in that place, standing there. You still got the sound of the heavenly host ringing in your ear and you're looking down on this baby. And you see him and you know, for some reason, you know, this is him. He's the one. This is the savior, the Messiah, the one we've been telling stories about and wondering about for all this time. This is him. The king of the angels lying in a manger, a feeding trough for a throne. And as you look at this, you you ask yourself the question, why? Why would he do this? Why would God show up here of all places? What could possibly motivate him to do this? Why do it that way? Ask yourself that question. What does this story actually tell you about God? What he's really like, not what you think he's like. What does this tell you about what God is like, about how he feels about you in particular? Here's what it tells me. It tells me that God is not distant and he's not aloof. He is not keeping you at arm's length. God is not afraid to get down into the mess and the the nitty gritty, the hard stuff of life. He is not far from our suffering. He is actually near to the brokenhearted. God is not like Caesar sitting high on his throne, distant from everybody else. He's not shouting from the comfort of heaven saying, good luck finding your way up to me. Hope you figure all that out. God instead is saying, I'm going to draw near. I know you can't find your way up to me, so I'm going to come and find you. I'm going to get close when you can't get close to me. 
If the king is in the manger, that means that he would go to any length to rescue us because he loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And that is truly good news for all people. But what does that mean for us? It means this. It means that we can join in the joy of the angels. We can join in the joy of the angels. That's what the angels announced, right? They brought the message that will bring great joy for all the people. But look at how people responded to that message. Look actually at the responses that they get within this passage. Here's here's one of the first reactions. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, the shepherds hear this message and what do they immediately do? The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They have just heard something so astounding, something that if it's true, changes everything. And so they did the most reasonable thing they could. They investigated it. They said, let's see if it's actually true. They got closer and they checked it out. There are some of you here today that this is the place where you're at in your spiritual journey. You've heard the message of Jesus and you say, there is something about that that is really appealing. I, I, I would like that to be true. There's something that draws me to that. And now you're at the place where you've got to make a choice. Will you actually get closer and investigate? Will you try and see what this all means? Will you try to encounter Jesus? So I wonder, what's your next step? Have you ever read one of the biographies of Jesus? You ever read one of the gospels to actually learn about him? It would be a great thing to do over the course of the next couple of weeks. Maybe read one of them. Maybe read Luke, the one that we're talking about today. Or the the book of Mark, which is the shortest of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. And actually say, this is is who Jesus is. Let me me see him the way the shepherds did. Or or maybe you've never prayed before, never prayed very seriously. Maybe you say, okay, for the the next week, here's what I'm going to do. Just a a quiet moment every day, five, ten minutes, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to actually talk to God and say, okay, God, this is, this is what I think. This is what I wonder. Here are my questions. God, God can handle a super honest expression. You just say, hey, this is what's going on. And then you say, God, if you're there, I want to know you. And you take a moment and you listen and you wait and you see. Or maybe you were here at This is Christmas. You're one of the 145 people who took one of those next step packets. And you've, you've taken one step. You say, okay, I think this is for me. And so you say, what's, what's your next step on this? Uh, One of the things we recommend is a class called Alpha. It's a a program that's been done all around the world. It's a a super casual environment. You hear a presentation about something that's at the heart of the Christian faith, and then you just get to talk about it. You get to share your opinion, you get to ask questions, and you do it all over a free meal. So even just for that reason, it's worth going. And so this is a great way, just a simple way to say, okay, let me me try to understand this, figure this out, whether you, you know what you think about Jesus or not yet. What's your next step going to be? Don't just sit back and say, well, I heard that nice message, but I'm not going to get any closer. Here's the second way people responded to the angel's message. Uh, Look at verse 18. It says, those who heard the message were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Then it says this in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. For some of you, the message that the angels announced has become old news. You've been coming to church for years, you've been in Christmas services for a long time, and it's starting to feel like a rerun. Like, it's a nice episode, but you kind of know what's going to happen. And and so here's the question, what are you going to do to not just let it kind of skim by and pass over you, but to actually take a moment to ponder it, to do what Mary did, to treasure it in your heart? I I would highly recommend finding some time over the course of uh, the Christmas season of saying, I'm going to sit. And I'm just going to focus in maybe on just one verse in the Bible, one verse in the Christmas story. Maybe you pick uh, the announcement of the angels, glory to God in the highest heaven, 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And you say, I'm just gonna keep reading that over and over again. Uh, the, the word we use for this sometime is meditation on scripture. And so you go through it and you, you, you pick the first phrase and you, you talk to God about it. You say, glory to God. God, what would it be like to see your glory? You, you, why is it that you're worthy of glory? Why should you be praised for this? Peace on earth, you ponder. What would it look like to see peace in my life and in the lives of the people around me with peace in the world? How does Jesus bring peace? And you, you ponder these things. You, you let them sink into you and soak into your heart. You don't just let, let them skim past as familiar things. You find that amazement. Here, here's a third reaction people have. Verse 17. It says that when the, the shepherds saw Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. You have heard the message of Jesus. Here's the question, though. Will you let other people hear about it? Will you share the good news with others? That when many of us think about talking about our faith with other people, with talking about the gospel, it instinctively makes us uncomfortable. But I, I wonder if you have ever pondered this question from a different perspective, from the perspective of the angels. Okay, imagine this. It is the very first Christmas Eve, not the first Christmas, the very first Christmas Eve. And up in heaven, God has gathered all of the heavenly hosts around his throne. And he said, all right, I have an announcement to make. You've heard me again and again promise that one day a savior will come and the time has finally come. The savior, the Messiah, my son is about to be born. And one of you, millions and millions of angels out there, one of you is going to be the very first one to announce his birth. Now you're one of those angels in the crowd. What are you thinking at that moment? Who's it going to be? Who's, who, who's he going to pick? Could, could he possibly pick me? I hope he picks me. I would love to do that. Because think about that. That is the assignment of a lifetime, of an eternity for an angel. That's the big show. That's it. You can't get any higher than that. It's like, I'm going to announce the birth of the Son of God. This is it. And so you're thinking, who's he going to pick? And the moment when God says, you, what goes through that angel's mind? The joy, the excitement, the thrill of actually getting to do this. That angel would not think, well, I'll do it because it's my duty. That angel is thinking, I can't believe I get to do this. This is amazing. It's the biggest honor you could possibly get. And the shepherds, when they saw Jesus, when they heard the message, instinctively, without anybody telling them, they just knew this is the best news ever. And so I'm going to share. They immediately joined in the joy of the angels of getting to announce the birth of the Son of God. This is the same privilege that you and I have all the time to get to tell people of the incredible hope that Jesus brings to us. Who in your life, who in your life needs to hear that message? Christmas is a great time to do this. It might be as simple as saying, calling someone up, even just this afternoon and saying, hey, you wanna to come to a Christmas Eve service with me? It's always beautiful, it's always, it's always meaningful, you wanna come? Or maybe as you're gathered around with your family, you're sitting at a, a dinner table or you're you know, laying on a couch after you know, people have torn open Christmas presents and you're talking with someone, and you just ask them, you say, what makes Christmas meaningful to you? What's, what's your favorite part about Christmas? And they'll share what they find meaningful about Christmas. And then you get a chance to share what you find meaningful about Christmas, which I hope is Jesus. Or, or maybe Christmas is a hard time for people, right? There are a lot of people, this is a very challenging time. They've lost someone. They're going through a hard time in their life. And so it doesn't feel happy for them. You have a perfect opportunity to say, hey, I, I just want to let you know it's Christmas time and I'm, I'm feeling bad with you. And could I pray for you? 
feel like at this time of the year, everybody needs some hope. And, and I'm a praying person. So can I pray for you that you'd have the hope that God brings at this time of the year? And you, just, you do something simple to show that you care about someone. You have the opportunity to share the best news possible with people, people who desperately need to hear it. Who will you share with this year? There's one other reaction that people have to the message of the angels. At the very end, it says that the shepherds went away glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And so that's actually how we're going to end today's service. We're going to sing one final song. Fittingly, it is called Angels We Have Heard on High, a very familiar song to many of you. Uh, But if you've heard the song before, you might not actually know what the chorus means because the chorus is in Latin. It goes, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Uh, when I was a kid, I would hear this song, and I wonder, why are we singing this song about my friend Chelsea from my class? Like, why does she get a Christmas song? But Gloria in excelsis Deo just means this, glory to God in the highest. It's the exact same words that the angels announced to the shepherds in this passage. God came to live with us in the lowest place, so he is worthy of praise in the highest place. Let's pray, and then we'll sing this song together. Heavenly Father, it is incredible that you have given us a message that does bring great joy to all people. God, God, we pray that you would give us hearts to respond the way the shepherds did and Mary did, that that we would be thrilled by this news, that we would get close and investigate, that we would share it with others, that we would ponder in our hearts. And God, we pray that all of this would draw out worship so that we'd praise you and give you the glory you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name.